Welcome to another Back in Business podcast. I'm business journalist and broadcaster Mickey Clark and also intrepid podcaster, whatever that is. <laughs> you said another podcast as if, oh, another podcast. Mickey. No, another podcast. Another Thank podcast. you. Another podcast. And I'm yes. small business journalist Liz Barkley. Um, and we're talking about the latest situation for businesses around the UK and finding out what's been happening in Wales because the end of the firebreak is approaching on Monday the 9th. We are recording this on Friday the 6th. Um, we missed you, Mickey, last week. Um, no, you didn't. Yes, we did. <laughs> I think you were out stocking up on pints before the pubs shut. I'm giving up on pubs. Well, I'd give up on me already, haven't I? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I can un- get my head around booking a table for a restaurant. I can't get my head booking a table for a pint. You know, it's a spontaneous action. And booking tables is driving me crackers. My local pub's only got two tables available, and there's 12 of us fighting over them every week uh, on a Sunday. And you think afterwards, you're exhausted. You need a drink just to sit down. So I I think it's becoming a bit of a... One of those situations where you think perhaps the lockdown in England's done us a bit of a favour because we haven't got to worry about things like that anymore. (laughs) But what happens come Christmas, I don't know. Well, you're all right until the second of December. You're at home. Um, any chance that you might might lose a bit of weight while we're <laughs> while you're not no, fine? No, 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 no. no I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a suggestion. I was just thinking that maybe all of us will lose some, <laughs> some weight because we won't be eating in restaurants and drinking pints. I I've, I found quite a few people who lost weight during the the initial lockdown um but they put it all back on fairly quickly i must say um <sighs> and the drinking the drinking went through the roof for a lot of them it didn't in my case because i've got a cardiologist who tells me not to but for a lot of people i think the alcohol it was every single day and well, uh, you know, I, th- I think that's partly because of how people are feeling don't you as well yeah yeah well, I, I accept that but where did they get their alcohol from it wasn't the pub they so you know this online and supermarkets because yeah. it's so much cheaper but that's a whole different story it is a different story in Sainsbury's is uh, there is a story there I think to be told too because they're saying they're having to cut jobs oh they're in a terrible strain Sainsbury but they can still pay dividends well that's, we'll that's when you start to get a bit cranky and you think hold on a second you're getting rid of three and a half thousand jobs but you can still pay a dividend what can't be that bad what do you mean start to get a bit cranky? Come on, let's let's <laughs> let's talk to our chief reporter, uh, Jyoti Rambai. Um, Jyoti, I think you've been looking at the various restrictions that have been imposed on businesses in the various nations of the UK. Uh, I have to say quite a task. It's no wonder you were working till half past nine last night. <laughs> yeah, it's been a busy couple of days or a busy week, shall I say. But um, put it this way, so the UK as a whole is on some form of lockdown in each of the nations. Um, so in England, of course, we went into lockdown yesterday um, and that's meant like, so all non-essential retails, pubs, leisure um, venues, restaurants and gyms have been ordered to close. Takeaways are still permitted um, and there's no mixing between households. Um, so the government has said that the lockdown will only be until the 2nd of December but a lot of people are sceptical and they are thinking that it's probably going to go into December, the lockdown, or at least there'll be tighter restrictions throughout December. 
I'm, I'm suspicious, given that the Chancellor has extended the furlough scheme till March, that we might be in lockdown for longer. But we'll again, we'll hear more from Declan about that in a minute. Um, but England, obviously, is just yesterday into lockdown. Uh, lots of other parts of the UK have been struggling with restrictions in England, but also in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Well yeah, before so, that. So I know we're going to be talking about Wales in a little bit more detail a bit later on, but... Um, like you said, the lockdown's coming to an end on Monday and some of the restrictions will still be in place, but um, non-essential businesses will be allowed to reopen and people once again will be allowed to um, mix with other households and form uh, household bubbles, meet in pubs, cafes and restaurants. Now, the Welsh Government has issued um, a set of guidelines about meeting with people outside your household bubble or people that you don't live with and one of the key things is that you can only meet with a maximum number of four people um, and that's indoors and outdoors so the same rules apply and then we've got Scotland that um, entered a new five-tier um, COVID alert system this week so that was similar to the tiered system they introduced in England prior to the lockdown. Um, majority of the central belt are in tier three um, which has a ban on the sale of alcohol in pubs, cafes and restaurants. And they also have to close at 6pm. So I don't think Mickey would be liking that very much, would you? No, no, no. I'm yeah, but he, but he can't go to the pub now anyway. No, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, every region has a different rule. Uh, you know, it's confusing to say the least. And this government does sound as though it's becoming a, a counter indicator that anything it says you do the opposite because that's what happens. We're going to come back on March on December the 2nd. Uh, no, we ain't. <laughs> We're not going to extend the furlough scheme. Yes, well, we are. I mean, you, uh, you just can't trust it, can you? There, there have been that many U-turns. People are being sceptical. They're not believing in what the government is saying. So, I mean, I kind of don't blame them either. Um, and then there's Northern Ireland, which I haven't mentioned yet. So they're also in lockdown, which, which is due to end next week, Friday. There's been no announcement of when the hospital venue, hospitality venues will be facing further restrictions and businesses are calling on the government for clarity. Um, but um, the Irish Times did report today that there's mounting pressure to extend that lockdown beyond Friday the 13th. Um, and that's partly because the Department of Health confirmed more than 500 new cases. Um. <sighs> Lockdown. We're not even all calling it lockdown. We're calling it fire breaks. We're calling it, oh, I don't know what we're calling this... it. I, I, there's a word springs to mind and I almost said it and I'm not going to. Uh, the, English, <laughs> the English situation is not a lockdown anymore. It's not a fire break, sorry, it's a lockdown. Yeah. But, they, but the, the Welsh situation is a fire break, isn't it? The thing is, at the end of the day, it is a lockdown. If you think about, we're closing businesses, we're closing big parts of the economy. So, yes, it is a lockdown, whether or not you want to call it that. Yeah, it's just yes. the use of language, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Daniel, who we're going to be talking to from Wales uh, in a minute, is saying that Wales hasn't issued its guidance yet. Well, this is Friday the 6th. And you're supposed to be coming out of your fire break on Monday the 9th and you haven't got your guidance yet. I mean, again, I think, Jyoti, this is a problem. It's the clarity. It's the lack of clarity. It's the last minute nature of everything. Well, yeah. So and this is the problem with business owners. Um, they don't have time to prepare. So they can't get their 
premises or restaurants COVID safe according to the guidelines if they haven't been given them in advance enough for when they're due to be reopened or when they can open. It also means that a lot of businesses will, will delay opening from when they're allowed to open, which again then also has an impact on their businesses, their trades, the amount of money they get in. So yeah, it's not... Let's talk, let's talk to Simon. Simon, you chipped in there earlier yep. um, about the difference between lockdown and firebreak and so on. Uh, that I just wish they'd all talk about the same thing in the same language consistently. We might have more hope of knowing what's going on. Simon McVicker is our Director of Public Affairs Policy and Communications and our business editor, Declan Curry, is here too. What, Hello. Are, you, what are you guys thinking? Well, uh, the thing about it is the, the lockdown uh, has superseded uh, the fire breaks and all the tier situations in the English cities. The question is, after lockdown, do we go back to this tier situation? And that seems to be unclear. Um, uh, and, and, and in fact, the whole government strategy overall, to me, seems to be unclear. Um, as you mentioned earlier, the furlough scheme has been extended to March, which suggests the government may not see this all ending until March. But this is the sixth time the Chancellor's come to the House of Commons to tell us what his plans for the winter spring is. He's actually appeared 12 times since the budget. And I would describe the Chancellor as rather diminished this week um, because he's had to U-turn in this furlough scheme. And uh, today in the press, he's getting universally condemned by economists and others to say that the, the furlough scheme is a very blunt tool which is uh, expensive and not targeted. Um, although I it does save many jobs. However, of course, because he left it to the last minute to extend it, um, many people have lost their jobs in the interim. And I note that the Bank of England are now saying we're looking at unemployment of over 10% in 21. So, you know, whatever the furlough scheme does, it's not going to stop unemployment happening. But it could have done. It could have done in the summer. I mean, if he'd have said we're going to extend the scheme the same as the French and the Germans did, there wouldn't have been a problem. And it didn't have to be a blunt instrument. He could have targeted it to companies that well, are affected by lockdown or anything else. And he did nothing. He but said Mickey, no. We're not. Here. He played what? politics and treasury pressure. Well, two points there. Uh, the, the fact is, in the summer, the government thought they had this under control, and they didn't. Secondly, you're right. The German and the French scheme is less um, generous, more targeted, but longer. It but clear. for about a year. And clear. And uh, back in business was calling for that sort of scheme in the summer, but um, he, he wouldn't listen or the government wouldn't listen. Uh, now he's been forced back into the furlough situation, which is going to cost a lot more money, to be honest. Declan, what... Um, uh Mickey's line last uh, the week before last was one, two, three times a rescue package. <laughs> I think this is six times a Sunak packet <laughs> or or Sunak the six pack. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, what about the furlough scheme this time round? Is it the same level of generosity? What about self-employed? They've still left out the people who were left out previously, have they not? Did I was just going to ask you, did you remember the week when Mickey made a joke? 
about <laughs> once, twice, three times a, a rescue. And now we have six times a, a, a Rishi with this one. Um, <laughs> in, terms of its, in terms of the level of generosity, it's going back to where it was in March. So the taxpayer will cover 80% of wages up to that maximum of £2,500 a month. Though so employers will have to pay national insurance and pension contributions uh, this time. That may change. Once we get into January, he's left the door open to asking employers to pay a little bit more. But for now, uh, taxpayers paying uh, 80% of wages. It applies across the whole of the UK. And to try and address this criticism that uh, business had been told time and time again, this is ending in October. Get ready for it. There's a new scheme that the damage starts is in done, November. Yeah. He's done There's the a damage. new scheme that starts in November and it will only give help to people who are back part-time. That was a signal to business that they had to lay people off or issue redundancy notices because you've got to give a certain amount of time before redundancy is effective. To try and address that criticism that companies laid people off who could have been helped by the extension of furlough, they've backdated it. Anyone made redundant after the 23rd of September can be rehired and then put on the Big furlough. deal. But that's, that's no help. If, you, if you're someone who was in a business in August, and I know people in this situation, who were told in August, the furlough's been reduced, we can't afford to pay you what we were paying you, will you take a pay cut and we'll keep you on the payroll? And they said yes. Well, the new furlough that they are now getting, that the government could have said all along was going to continue, they're now getting much less than they otherwise would have done because they and their bosses were responding to what they thought the situation was going to be. And the the bosses always wanted saying, clarity. They always want the clarity. And I understand it's a fast-moving situation. It's a variable situation. We still don't really understand this virus. We're still trying to get on top of the science. But the scientists were saying in September... There's a second wave coming back and it's going to be big. It could be as big as the first wave. We were talking in March that the pattern of the Spanish influenza in 1918 was one, two, three waves. This was known from the start. This could have been anticipated. And he, uh, Simon, as you say, he's left himself open to the idea of someone who is, first of all, being dragged to inevitable conclusions that he could have made earlier and someone who is not the master of events. Exactly. Can, I, can I just throw in the criticism that uh, springs to mind from my point of view? Um, it was happening in Wales, it was happening in Scotland, it was happening in Northern Ireland, but not until it happened in England did he step forward with this extension of the furlough scheme to March. Isn't there that something too. slightly discriminatory about that? Or is that just because I come from Northern Ireland? It's Partly just because you Scotland. come from Northern Ireland. Get get those chips off your shoulders. Although it has to be said, the Northern Irish government... She's well balanced. The Northern Irish government extended the furlough during its lockdown period itself. So it is open to the devolved governments to to use, you know, the furlough scheme themselves. Um, you know, it, it doesn't all have to come from the chancellor. But Evolution. I would just like to go back to this lockdown, you know, and and... and, and why we're having this lockdown, um, you know, and, and it isn't making sense. For instance, you know, I'm a tennis player. I can't play tennis uh, with my partner during the lockdown, but I can sleep in the same bed as my partner. I mean, this is the ridiculousness of this lockdown. And um, Theresa May this week made the speech of a lifetime in the House of Commons, which the press have called the dodgy 
data speech. And she said, it looks as though the figures are being chosen to support the policy rather than the policy being based on the figures. We need these proper, we need a proper analysis. We need to know the details behind these models and we need able to assess the validity of the models. Then she went on to list a whole area of other, other things like non-COVID treatment in NHS, mental health, suicide, jobs lost, businesses failing, that there is no data on and the government is refusing to give us data on that and is refusing to tell us how they see the futures of sectors like hospitality and independent shops, for instance. Theresa May spoke for Britain this week, just shows ex-prime ministers are better than prime ministers. Is that a tennis racket? Are you Simon, your pocket or are you yes. just pleased to see me? <laughs> Declan, Declan, Declan you're, you're, you were really passionately telling us about what's happening about the furlough scheme, but you haven't told us what's happening about the income, the, the income support scheme for the self-employed. Just the point I was going to make for the uh, bearing in mind who is listening to this particular uh, podcast, those freelancers who were getting help will continue to get help. They'll get 80% of their average normal income. Those freelancers, um, self-employed and people who offer their services to their clients through their own companies who've been utterly and totally ignored since March will continue to be ignored until March next year. They're buggered. I would just also like to follow up on the lockdown point. I'd like to follow up the lockdown point. In the debate in the House of Commons, it was the Labour Party that saved the government because 34 Tory MPs voted against the government and another 18 abstained. So therefore, it was Labour votes that um, backed this lockdown and helped Boris get through. I would suggest that's unsustainable. I think Boris is in big political trouble. Um, and we will come back to, uh, we'll, we'll hold you to that when we hear what happens. Uh, for those of a nervous disposition who don't like to think about Simon McVicker in bed with his partner, can we please, <laughs> can we please scrub that one? I can think <laughs> I, of nothing else. As I can see it going well, thank you, Declan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do they think in Wales? Can we bring in our Welsh guests? Um, we have Andrew Henley as Professor of Entrepreneurship and Economics at Cardiff Business School and Daniel Warder, owner of Joe, uh, Top Joe's Pizzeria in Tenby. Daniel, you intervened on the chat earlier, we're recording this on Zoom, uh, and said that you haven't got the guidance yet from the Welsh Government uh, about coming out of this firebreak, as they, as they call it. Um, how's it. How has this been for you? What, give, us a, give us a picture. Well, on, in terms of the guidance not being released? No, in terms, in terms of the business, in terms of what you've gone through for the last few weeks. Okay, so obviously we, we were quite busy. I'm in a very um, seaside town, Tenby, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, we were very, very busy for July and August because people couldn't go anywhere, so it was very busy. Um, but then all of a sudden we were told there'd be a fire break. Um, and then that was superseded, obviously, by the, the national lockdown. Um, so... The word I would come back to, and I just hear it all around, it just sticks in my head the whole time, is clarity. Clarity is the fundamental thing. And you, you, know, you, you look at the public health aspect, we want clarity. You look at the furlough aspect, we want clarity. Grants and funding, clarity. Opening mitigations, clarity. And it's just, it just constantly feels like we're having to ask 
for, for things that really should be given to us, really, really naturally given us the seriousness of the situation. Um, Andrew, could, sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> it's the saying of the lockdown, isn't it? <laughs> um, clarity, definitely the word that I that rings with me all the time. Sorry, Mickey, go on. I was going to ask Andrew, um, Andrew Henley, one question that's been on, I've been asking for some time now is about devolution. Do you think devolution has been helpful throughout COVID-19 and the United Kingdom, or has it worked against us in that everybody now is singing from their own hymn sheet? And to be perfectly honest, it sounds a, a noise. I'm going to answer that as an economist with two hands. On the one hand... Um... <laughs> I thought you were going to say three hands. A typical <laughs> economist. <laughs> well, economist is somebody who'll tell you tomorrow why what they forecast yesterday didn't happen today. That definition goes back to the Yorkshire Post many years ago, which is where I originally come from. <laughs> and so I still read regularly. Um, right. So I think, first of all, I think from the Welsh, from the point of view of people in Wales, I think they feel that devolution has allowed Wales to manage the crisis well. So you'll, you'll find far less, I mean, I'm speaking as a population whole, perhaps not as the business population, but certainly there's a sense that um, um, the Welsh government has perhaps, the messaging has been, um, certainly until now, a lot clearer. Their approach seems to be consistent, even if perhaps it's been tougher. Um, the, the other, the, on the other hand issue is that, um, that this lack of joined upness and the fact that you know, different um, countries within the UK have been following their own strategies um, has created an enormous amount of confusion. And you can see that in terms of just, you know, the, the amount of confusion that people in England have had over whether Wales is open for business if they come on holiday. Uh, I mean, you know, for example, a town like Tenby, hugely reliant on um, a lot of tourism business and you know even though the lockdown in Wales will end this weekend that's not going to be that's not going to be in a sense a huge help for businesses that rely on a lot of tourism uh, in um, because people from England will not be traveling into Wales to uh, spend money um, so that's that's gonna be and particularly actually as the Welsh government has have said and this is a, a point that probably within the wider Welsh population plays out quite well given that, you know, they think that England is managing this pretty chaotically and therefore is a kind of petri dish of COVID. That, uh, you know, Wales is saying if you're if you're in England and you're in the lockdown, you can't actually travel over the border. Now, how well that's going to be enforced, I don't know. Uh, I live in out in, in rural Wales and I know that, that certainly in the earlier part of the lockdown, you know, the police force were out in, <laughs> in droves patrolling the main roads in and turning people around and lots of sort of stories in this area here issued more fines than anywhere else uh, but whether they'll you know how effectively they'll be able to carry on doing that I don't know um, so it's yeah, there is this sort of confusion and lack of joined upness um, and if you listen to the you know listen to the first minister in Wales what you'll hear is um, actually a sense of enormous frustration that he can't get clear answers from uh, England about what they're planning to do. Uh, and of course, in terms of funding, I mean, it's interesting the point about saying, well, the devolved administrations could go ahead and do their own furlough scheme. And it's interesting that in Northern Ireland, they seem to have been able to do that. The challenge has been- I've got a bit more money though, isn't it? Thank yeah, you. absolutely. That, that, sorry, then that's exactly the point it was going to make. 
that until some until the chancellor says, oh, I'm going to spend another 20 billion, Wales doesn't know whether it's going to get its 5% of that devolved down through what's called the Barnett formula. So until the, you know, every, every time the chancellor stands up in the House of Commons and spends money in England, a bit of money comes to Wales. But that may well be far too late for Wales to make its own decisions about how it wants to spend money on business support or coronavirus job support or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, I think there's a real issue here as well surrounding how this money is given out. And we had a thing last week launched called the ERF Fund Phase 3. And it just seems that there's such a huge catechism between on-the-ground independent hospitality um, venues and government. We've never had a voice before. We've never really, we've always, you know, we're very adaptable, very small businesses. Um, I, we actually formed something called the Welsh Independent Restaurant Collective back in May. It's the first thing anything like that's been attempted really to sort of give a voice to um, independent Welsh businesses. And there just seems such a, they don't, they just don't have a fundamental understanding of our industry and how it works. And that's often very frustrating. Um, in terms of the lack of understanding, these things take time to work their way down to independence. It's, it's very flexible. We, we have people working for us quite often who only do part-time work. They're quite often students, various things like that. You know, it doesn't, it, it's very difficult to, without the guidance, coming on time to work out a way forward. And this is where it's been proved tricky, I think, in Wales. Can I just ask, back to sort of this idea of um, it being devolved nations, it seems like the devolved nations have got the public health aspect and they can be in control of that. And it's all these economic packages, um, but they can't do anything until, like you said, they get the money from Westminster. So is there a question then about how devolved each nation should be or not? Well, it feels just like it devolved in a way, doesn't it? I mean, we got the impression the first time, the first lockdown, that Mark Drake was very much following the public health you know the, the figures and he was very very keen on that side of things but this time it feels like we're coming out of lockdown or firebreak as we call it at completely the wrong time and that just that ultimately ultimately is is a lack of communication between between Westminster and Cardiff isn't it I mean he asked uh, Drakeford asked I think um, the Chancellor if we could have because I think our firebreak fell absolutely bang smack in the middle of it when we would have changed from furlough over to the J JRS um, and we and he asked if we could just bring the JRI scheme a week forward, and they would, Cardiff would pay for that, just in terms of making it clearer and easier for everybody, and it was refused. Yeah. A week later, we're all back on furlough. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's just not good enough. <laughs> uh, I, I would say in terms of, I, I mean, it's really interesting what's, I suppose, politically in Wales, in that I think there's an almost kind of polarisation going on. And on the one hand, you've got all of this kind of, well, devolution isn't working. Remember, there's an there's election no, this year. Uh, and there is, a, there is indeed an election in May. Um, and, and at the other extreme, you've actually got people like the kind of Welsh, the, the sort of people pushing for a, a Welsh independence referendum, Yes Cymru and other groups, who are actually seeing rapid increases in their, their membership, if you like, and the numbers of people who are, you know, and opinion polls are sort of picking up on this that, you know, I mean, we're nowhere near the level in Scotland, but it's kind of resulting in a kind of polarisation of opinion. Wales is kind of joined at the hip to this big country, which is making a complete mess of managing all of this. Uh, on the other hand, the fallout for that is falling particularly onto Welsh businesses because they are the ones having to deal with all of the 
policy inconsistency, the kind of lack of joined upness in the timing of policy, and particularly uh, in terms of the in the in the hospitality and tourism leisure sector, in terms of losing their kind of market from the kind of the holiday trade coming from England. I mean, maybe less of an issue at this time of year, but certainly was an issue uh, earlier in the year where you know a lot of Welsh businesses all the way along West Wales and up into North Wales are hugely reliant on people coming in. And it was a good summer in the sense that, of course, you know, a lot of people decided, well, there's no way I'm going to go abroad. You know, were buying up any second-hand caravan they could find and sticking a tow bar on their car and finding any Airbnb they could get their hands on and were coming to Wales. But is it, is it a case of, you know, too many, too many cooks spoiling the broth? I mean, we are still a small island. It should be easy to manage. And it's not because we have to plough our way through so many politicians. The same think, thing happened in Brexit. Yeah, I think, I think Drakeford has made it really clear right through that he's, he's not a, a nationalist, really. He, he believes in Great Britain and wants to support it. But I think he finds it hard not to take pot shots. Because they're just open goals for him. It's just—it's so easy for him just to, to make it, and it really does bring out that nationalist fervor, and that will get him votes. Mm. He's also—it's important to say that he's probably more to the left of the now new leadership of the the Labour Party. So his first inclination is to speak to the kind of socially excluded constituency, if I can put it like that. And also, of course, Wales has the, the sort of Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, which a lot of people don't necessarily know about in England, where, you know, there's a whole bunch of kind of wider social and environmental indicators of the Welsh government are kind of, you know, trying to align policy, sometimes somewhat inconsistently with, you know, I mean, on the one hand, we believe in, you know, a sustainable green economy. And on the other hand, every time somebody wants to come build a factory in South Wales to build smelly diesel four by fours will give them loads of money. So there's a lack of joined upness yes. there about that. I was going to mention that. I I, I, I was uh, thinking that, um, yeah, he's all, it's all very well to criticise the, the UK government, but I'm not getting a, a clear strategy from the Welsh government of how they want to uh, come out of the COVID situation and rebuild the economy in Wales. Uh, in a way that you're getting that the, the English mayors like the Dan Jarvis in Sheffield and Andy Burnham in the Manchester area seem to have more of a strategy for their local areas. I mean, you know, it's not all perfect in the Welsh government. No, I think they've, they've really snookered themselves as well with this little fire break versus the national lockdown. I think it was really, really bad timing all around. And yeah, it, it, it hasn't looked good for from, from our point of view, certainly. Um, yes. I mean, it's, there is a little bit of, you know, uh, politics here between a Conservative national government and a Labour uh, Welsh government trying to outguess each other. And um, I mean, obviously, in the general election last year, the Tories did quite well in Wales. So there could be something like that going on. But really, I think politicians need to start getting together and thinking um, of, a, of maybe a joint strategy to get us out of this mess. Andrew, I was interested in what you were saying about the uh, sort of the boost for tourism in Wales this year as people realised we're not going to go abroad. So let's have a great holiday somewhere uh, in the United Kingdom. Is that going to happen again next year? We see travel, overseas travel for leisure banned at the minute. If the lockdown, uh, the English lockdown continues uh, the other side of Christmas, then... That's the time of year people are making their plans for summer holidays. Should Wales actually be thinking we should be preparing 
for a big influx of visitors from England next summer once the vaccine's there, once the uh, infection rates start to go down and the brakes come off again? Well, you're asking me now to make a prediction. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'll tell you tomorrow why I got it wrong. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I th- that, that's a reasonable argument to make, actually. I, I think it will depend very much on what's happening around the rest of Europe and whether people... F- by next summer, people feel it's safe to go abroad, or indeed they've got the money to go abroad. Of course, that's the other issue. Uh, you know, people's you know, if, if they've not lost their job, they're certainly seeing budgets, household budgets, heavily squeezed. So they may not have that. So actually, staycations—I hate that word—but staycations um, it, it, within the UK could well remain quite popular, uh, and um, people may well. Um, continue to do that next year so that that would be a positive glimmer but I mean you know we've got a long way to go until we get there you know with that we're sort of six seven months still away from the start of the the 2021 um, but it but but given those decisions are made around Christmas Day Boxing Day is this the time for you know if you're running a small bed and breakfast if you're running a small boutique hotel if you're uh, you know Daniel even if if you're running a business like yours should you be thinking now I'm going to do a big social media push this Christmas. I'm going to do a big marketing push this Christmas. And even though the customers may not come in for another couple of months, this is the time to strike to get my name out there. Or should you be thinking of yourselves taking a complete punt and saying, well, look, we're going to be busy for the next couple of years. I'm willing to borrow to pay fixed costs Mm. because it's going to be worth me being around here in the next couple of years. Now, we don't know that, but that is a decision people will be making. Um, I, I, I do think there will, the numbers will be there. The other thing it's doing, Daniel, is that it's accelerating trends that were there already. And in your industry, the trend has been towards delivery, ordering through apps. We've seen huge billion, multi-billion pound deals in in, in Uber Eats and Deliveroo and the the, the giants of the business. Is this something you think about as you run your business that you need to make it more technologically savvy and this is the time to do it? I've got a good example of that, actually. When, when we opened up on July the 3rd after the lockdown, I spent a fortune and loads of time trying to put an online ordering system together, um, which sort of basically we worked out an hour before we opened. It was never going to work. And luckily it didn't because the volume of people. Um, I'm not sure that works in rural areas so much. I think our, our, our USP here, obviously, is our coastline, our countryside, and we already have, through the season, enough visitor numbers, and, and really we don't need to concentrate on things like that. But I could see why, where that would be um, would work in, in different environments, absolutely. Um, Daniel, if, if, oh, sorry, sorry if, Liz, if, just a quick question. I'd, I'd, I've never seen your balance sheet. I don't know anything about it. But if you were to borrow i mean you may have borrowed money i don't know what what your relationship's like with your bank (laughs) (laughs) but but if you borrow money is it to expand the business or is it to finance running costs at the moment i think that historically in business we've pretty much taught that you you learn from bitter experience sometimes you never borrow money in hospitality to, to cover fixed costs um you borrow to, to make your business better or you start another business and do something else, but you don't borrow to pay rent. You don't borrow to pay rates because you're just on a spiral, a downward spiral. And from that, you, you know, it's, it's, it's very fickle our industry. You know, I mean, I opened my place eight years ago and people say, don't they? Two out of three fail within the first 18 months. So if it doesn't work, you shut and you open a new company, and do something else. I just don't think that 
um, like I said before, about borrowing to pay fixed costs is just not really an option, I don't think, in our industry. I think it's really, really unless you're guaranteed that you know that the next five years are going to be bumper. Which is the um, it's really interesting, Declan, though, that you should ask that question that you asked about, you know, delivery, etc. Um, Sam, who runs the Riverside uh, restaurant in Hammersmith, contacted me this week and said that, uh, you know, he'd set up everything to go back into the restaurant now. He was setting up on Wednesday to be ready to make the deliveries on Thursday. So he's having to keep just changing the business model to stay one step. Yeah, I think, I think also you've got to be really, really careful about this is that we have to bear in mind this isn't going to be forever, but we don't want to build a world where we can only have takeaway food delivered to us on a bike. You know, we, we still want to have the visitor experience that we had before, don't we? Absolutely. Otherwise, you won't get the visitors. Andrew, can you just can you just give us a picture? What do you because you've been doing lots of research and we haven't heard really much in the way of figures from you. How has COVID affected small businesses in Wales and what do you think it's going to look like when we come out? As Daniel says, this is not going to last forever. What is the business, small business sector going to look like in Wales when we come out of this? So, yeah, the Welsh economy is typically businesses are smaller, um, but actually particularly in the kind of manufacturing area, perhaps. Um, Maybe that makes Wales not dissimilar to sort of some of the other kind of northern English regions, but certainly compared to the southeast, you know, the, the economy is much more reliant on small businesses. It doesn't have, it has a very few really large businesses and, and you're counting the figures of one hand, the numbers of large businesses almost that have got, you know, PLCs that have got headquarters in Wales. Um, so the economy really is reliant on them. And because, uh, you know, you've got, I don't know, nearly 200,000 businesses, but 90 six percent of those or something are actually sole trader potential self-employed businesses um and, and you know and, and we've already heard about just how much these people have been struggling uh now amongst the kind of self-employed the sole traders um there's probably been less churn uh, the the rate of self-employment is perhaps a bit more static if it's sort of the rate itself the proportion of the people who are self-employed sort of peaked in Wales perhaps two or three years ago, whereas it's continued to grow in London Southeast. So compared to London, where you've seen a lot of recently self-employed people who suddenly found themselves actually not eligible for self-employed income support scheme. In Wales, it's perhaps not been so severe, but nevertheless, there are still 72,000 self-employed people, sole traders who were not eligible for the self-employed income support scheme. And it's for this reason that we've discussed earlier that a lot of them are set up with a sort of a, a, a you know a limited company status, no employees, uh, and they pay themselves in the form of annual dividend because that's the most sensible way from a tax point of view to do that. Um, but then they found themselves completely ruled out of the support scheme. And you know the, the different groups uh, like um, Ipsy and other independent campaigners have been just banging on and on and on and on week after week about this, and yet the chancellor doesn't seem to be um, paying any attention. So, yeah, and there's also, I think, some differences between men and women. I mean, women are much more like, less likely, you know, the numbers of female self-employed have been growing, so the numbers of women starting micro-businesses has been growing, and that's been improving. But actually, they've been probably, I mean, we thought that they probably were going to be in sectors which were going to be hardest hit by the crisis because they tend to be more likely to be in sort of like sectors that involve face-to-face -face work. Um, uh, uh, and, but 
whether that's been borne out by the data or not, it's difficult to tell because the self-employment data itself, the numbers of people who are working for themselves, the, the, the data are quite volatile at the moment. So it's difficult to read too much into that. Um, but because, you know, we, we're kind of in this, this sort of still in this sort of um, limbo where we actually aren't really seeing the full impact of the crisis and, and actually extending the, the furlough scheme for another uh, right out into next year is still going to make it difficult to take a clear, clear reading of what the economy is going to look like when it emerges from this, because we're just kind of kicking the can down the road in terms of all the job, job losses. Um, uh, the Welsh government, I think, has probably been putting, you know, has done quite well in terms of providing um, government-backed loans and grants. Um, the take-up rates seem pretty good in Wales in some respects, which is probably an indication of, you know, to some extent, the success there. Uh, but in other respects, you know, it doesn't look that dissimilar to the rest of the UK. There's another um, elephant in the room here, isn't there, as well, which is Brexit, of course. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> that, I'm not sure that's what we call it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it which is, you have, without being cynical, I mean, you know, it's quite nice for uh, the Chancellor to put the furlough on to the 31st of March because it may well cover a huge period of unrest in the new year as well, which suits him very nicely. And we, and we are going to do a podcast on Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's very, very conveniently from the point of view of as economists who like to want to kind of evaluate, evaluate the impact of these things very conveniently. The whole if, if it is going to be a hard no trade deal Brexit, it, the effect of that is going to be completely masked now by the the extension of the, the furlough scheme. Now, you know, um, um, the other thing, of course, is the US election. By the time this podcast goes out, hopefully we will know who the President of the United States is. But on Friday... Don't hold your breath. Nearly midday on Friday. <laughs> but that, of course, is going to result in the feet, feet being held to the fire for, for Johnson, because, of course, if it is Biden, then Biden is um, really going to insist that a friend of this that, country. Well, he's not a friend of this. Exactly the point <laughs> I'm going to make. He's going. To, he's going to hold the UK to account over its moral responsibilities around the, the Good Friday Agreement to the people of Ireland, and you know, and you know, we can go back to Oliver Cromwell and all the history that ever since for the last hundred x hundreds of years, you know, Ireland have been, I think, treated very badly in this whole process, and Biden's going to obviously going to want to redress that. There will be no trade deal with the US unless. Um, Ireland is secure. Okay. But then what um, sort of trade deal what sort of trade deal do we think we'll get with President Trump if he is re-elected? You know, his policy is America first. And okay, he's never got deal one. Will be for oh, the benefit of America. One. Before, well, before people, people like Daniel are gonna have to look very hard and make sure they're not putting <laughs> chlorine washed chicken on their pizzas because people won't want to buy it i guess i, I think know. i think we will do a podcast about about how the u.s election will affect but let's not let's not go there now because that's a whole uh, other hour of a conversation what i can tell you uh, at this minute biden is ahead in georgia with 99 percent of the votes accounted um and of course as we said before we began this podcast george is on our minds <laughs> So, uh, and by the I end just... of the podcast, we may have the guidance for Wales as well on how we can oh, that's, just, that's a few final thoughts from everybody because, unfortunately, every week I say the same thing. We have to wind this up. <laughs> a few final uh, final thoughts. Anybody pile in there? Clarity, just yet again. I mean, you know, it just it just feels a little bit like this. Whatever the rights and wrongs, and we all know it's difficult. It shouldn't be like this. We we are a viable industry. Um, and we should all be working together and we shouldn't um, fear lockdown. We should embrace it in a way and we should be supported through it. It's as simple as that. 
Yeah, I, I agree that say... uncertainty, yeah, sorry, uncertainty is, 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 a, is really crippling for business. You know, it, it, uncertainty is the worst thing from the point of view of trying to make decisions about investing in the future. Now, some of the uncertainty at the moment is around the spread of the pandemic and how long it's going to go on. But as Daniel said, a lot of this uncertainty is around, um, you know, just chopping and changing all the time with policy, um, not knowing what's going to happen from one week to the next. And that's why I actually I've always been kind of arguing all along that there isn't really that much of a trade off between, you know, the health consequences of the pandemic and keeping the economy going. The best thing to have done would have been to have probably been really hard to start with, which would have been tough for businesses, but, you know, could be funded through. But if we'd actually sorted the, the issue out, the, the pandemic issue out, then the economy could have recovered much more quickly and the longer term damage would have been less. Can I just chip in? What strikes me uh, is, since we started this podcast in May, we've been saying exactly what we were saying today, and nothing has changed. And in many ways, it's now quite apparent that our policymakers, our government, haven't got a clue what to do. <laughs> and um, I don't think lockdown works. Uh, I didn't think it worked last time. I don't think it works this time. I think we've got to learn with this, uh, to live with this disease and try and get our economy up and running again. And that's what I think a lot of the Conservative Party think as well. And I don't think Boris can sustain this position much longer. Can I sort of just follow on from that? Um, it seems like there are members or parts of the party that are just doing what they want now with the excluded it's not just industry bodies and campaign groups that have been asking for the government for support. Um, it's even the Treasury Select Committee, um, yet Rishi Sunak has, it's like he's purposely ignored all the lobbying and all the recommendations that have been given to him to support this group. So, yeah, I think even his Goldman position- Sachs trained. <laughs> Oh, don't start don't him on Goldman Sachs again, for goodness <laughs> no, sake. No, we'll, be, we'll be here to the better <laughs> yeah. result in Pennsylvania if he starts uh, with that. Two um, words to you, Carrie. Oliver Cromwell. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, as you know, we have differing views on his contribution to history throughout the ages. Um, can I bang out again about the technology side of this? Because whilst we're rightly focused on coronavirus, there are big trends shaping business that are carrying on regardless. And coronavirus, in fact, is accelerating them. And one of those is that we are becoming a more digital society. We're using apps for more and more uh, of our everyday lives. We're doing more working from home and that is going to become more permanent. And that was the story behind Sainsbury and Argos this week. Argos closing 420 stores, only leaving 100 on the high street. That's because it's becoming an online business and the Argos depots in Sainsbury are simply going to be glorified collection points. Elsewhere, it was a very bad week for mink. Who? Mink. You know, creatures in Denmark. Uh, a uh, form of uh, mutant coronavirus is uh, discovered to be able to go from mink to human in Denmark. So all the mink in Denmark are going to be slaughtered. Yes. Um, and on that note... <laughs> That's an extreme lockdown. Uh, it certainly is. It's a long. It's a long-term lockdown as well. <laughs> uh, um, Mickey, last word to you. Um, I think what we're all calling for regarding business is common sense and clarity. The two go hand in hand. It's when the politicians get involved it doesn't. 
Well, I hope I hope Rishi uh, and Boris are listening. Um, and just to say that we were talking about women and how they have been affected. Andrew Henley was mentioning that earlier. We did a podcast last week. Jyoti and I did a podcast with uh, some female guests last week, including Professor Julia Rice from uh, one of the universities in Manchester, looking at how women have been affected by COVID and how their businesses have uh, coped or not, as the case may be. So listen to that. Thank you very much to Andrew and to Daniel to, for giving us the Welsh perspective. Of course, thanks to the rest of the team, Declan, Simon um, and Jyoti. Mickey, we'll be back next week with lots more conversations about the self-employed and business and how they're coping throughout all of this. Um, uh, you won't if I keep waking up, we will. You won't get to the pub in the meantime, um, so there's a good chance you will wake up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you can find us on LinkedIn, you can find us on Twitter at business underscore backing, or if you'd like to take part, comment, uh, give us your views and experiences, then email us at contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. See you next week. Bye.